Oh, hi friends, how are we feeling? Is anyone feeling tired? Yeah, anyone feeling stressed? What about overwhelmed? Yeah, okay, keep your hands up for a second. If you're tired, if you're stressed, or if you're overwhelmed, keep your arms up. Look around the room, just look. <laughs> you're in really good company. <laughs> it's interesting to me that the majority of this room are tired, stressed, and overwhelmed. But you're in college, right? You have exams, you have a GPA to maintain, you have relationships, friendships, organizations, a social status to climb to. Like, this makes sense that you're tired, that you're stressed, that you're overwhelmed. I feel like that's a normal reaction to all that you have going on. But it's interesting to me when you think of it in the context of being a Christian that there are so many Christians who are on the struggle bus so often. One of my favorite verses is John 10.10. You might have heard this. It's where it talks about Jesus coming to give us life to the full. Full of what? Full of these fruits of the spirits. A life full of wholeness, of love, of peace, of joy. And yet, we're in a room where the majority of us just said <laughs> we are feeling tired stressed and overwhelmed but this is the first time that you felt that right <laughs> yes, Maria no <laughs> but you weren't you weren't tired yesterday you weren't exhausted last week last year you felt no stress right no obviously not if you're anything like me then you probably have felt that the majority of the time. You live in this chronic state of stress, tiredness, and feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> I can end here. We all relate. We know where we're going. <laughs> I think that's interesting, though, because there is this feeling that there's more, that maybe that's not all that there is. So what are we doing wrong? Is it us? Is the promise not true? Why are we stuck in this constant state of feeling tired, stressed, and overwhelmed? I think there's many reasons that we feel stuck, that we feel maybe trapped in this chronic cycle. And I wanna focus on one reason tonight. I think there is this cycle that we get trapped in that is so common that most times we don't even recognize that we are living stuck in this whirlpool that is keeping us down. I want to go after three questions. What is the cycle? Can we even break free from it? And if we can, how? We're going through the book of Hosea. It's what we've been in the last three weeks. We're still in it. And we're going to look at the Israelites because this is a pattern that they know really, really well. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive right in. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for tonight. I thank you that there are a room full of people that showed up tonight that are eager to hear a message, to know your word better and to know you deeper. I pray that students would have a heart that's willing to listen, ears that hear, and that ultimately this message would be one 
that you navigate, that you guide. I just invite the Holy Spirit into the space. I thank you for who you are, God, and that you're a God that we get to discover day after day after day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bible, you can open it. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. I would really encourage you to start bringing it if you have it. I think it's really helpful to read it yourself, um, but it'll also be on the screen. So we're in the book of Hosea. We're starting in chapter 12. We're going through chapter 12 and 13 today. So this is what it says. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. The merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich, I have become wealthy, and with all my wealth you will not find in me any inequity or sin. Hosea, the author of this book, is using poetry to paint this picture that would have been really obvious to the Israelites. He's using a ton of different references that for us nowadays we don't really pick up on, but for this time period they would have really known what he was saying. So what is he saying? What are these references? Well, in verse 1, he starts off talking about Ephraim. Ephraim and Israel, these are interchangeable words. He talks about how they are like this east wind. Now, at that time period, they would have understood the east wind to be this really damaging and destructive thing. And so what Hosea is painting right off the bat is the Israelites are like this east wind. They're empty, they're destructive, and they're damaging. He then goes on to talk about how Israel is making a treaty with Assyria, that they're trading oil with Egypt. He's referencing how they are becoming um, alliances, that they're making these foreign treaties with people that should have been enemy nations to them. And then you have in verse 2 through 4, where he's referencing this guy named Jacob. Again, at the time, they would have known who Jacob is, but for some of us who may not know who that is, who, who is Jacob? Who is this character? If you remember, we talked a little bit ago about Abraham, father of many nations, this guy that God chose to make the Israelite community through. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob, whose name is also Israel, all gets interchanged here. He goes on, has these 12 sons who become the tribe of the Israelites. So Jacob was an incredibly important figure to the Israelites. They would have known his story by heart. And what Hosea is doing through these few, uh, these few verses, he's making a connection between these sins that Jacob experienced and the sins and the shortcomings that the Israelites are experiencing today. He's saying this is a pattern. 
This isn't just now, this is something that is happening over and over and over again. I want you to hang on to that point because we'll come back to it in a second. He then goes on in verse 3 and uses this phrase, grasped his brother's heel. This goes on to be a common expression and it's used to describe a person who was deceitful, who was sneaky, who tricked people to get their own way. And for any of the Bible nerds out there, you might recognize this because Jacob literally was grasping his brother Esau's heel when he came out of the womb. And then Jacob goes on and he tricks his dad Isaac and his brother to steal his brother's birthright. So Hosea is saying, Remember how Jacob was deceitful? Remember how he was manipulative? Remember how he struggled with God and God wrestled him to surrender his pride and his ego? Yeah, that wasn't just then, that is also you now. In verse seven and eight, what I read, he says, I am very rich, I've become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any inequity or sin. If you remember what I talked about the first week, what? what is happening in the Israelite community? They are experiencing political and financial success. Remember, they're economically, politically, socially thriving. So Hosea is ministering during this time period, and what he's doing here with these first few verses, he's throwing it right back in their face. He's saying, y'all think that you are doing so well because you are climbing in wealth. You are drowning in wealth, and yet inside, you are spiritually dead. Verse 13, or excuse me, chapter 13, verse 2, he says, Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves. From their silver, clearly fashioned images, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said from these people, they offer human sacrifices and they kiss calf idols. Hosea is being super blunt at this point. He is laying out exactly how the Israelites are sinning. Like we've talked about, they're turning to idols. They're offering human and child sacrifices. They don't look any different from the nations around them. And that's a huge problem because remember what their purpose was? Their purpose was to be different. Their purpose was to be set apart from the nations around them and yet they look just the same. And because they're acting like everyone else around them, they are finding themselves stuck in this cycle. The cycle where they have a need and they try to fix it themselves. They have a need, they try to fix it themselves. They have a need, they try to fix it themselves. They're in need of protection, so they make a deal with an enemy nation. They're in need of stability, so they make these shady deals to grow and wealth. They're in need of comfort, so they act out of deceit and manipulation. They're in need of connection, so they go and they find a king to make these foreign alliances. Remember when I said Hosea is referencing this guy named Jacob, and he's drawing this connection. Jacob's sin and the Israelite sin, it's the same. 
It's this pattern. Well, this wasn't just happening during their generation. This cycle is all throughout scripture. You have Abraham, the father of many nations, who God says, you're going to have a son. And the dude's like, I'm 100 years old. I am not sure that I'm going to have a son. So he takes matters into his own hand. He goes and he has a child with a servant. Or you have the Israelites who are coming out of Egypt and they've just experienced this miraculous freedom from slavery. And they're out wandering in the unknown. And what happens? They get tired. They get hungry. They start complaining. They wish they were back in slavery. They wish they were dead. Even in the New Testament, you see this. You have the prodigal son. You might be familiar with that story. The son who has everything, and yet he wants more. So he leaves, and he goes, and he chases his greed, and he chases his money, and what happens? He ends up eating with literal pigs. He lost everything. Over and over and over and over and over again, they have a need, and they try to fix it themselves. They're stuck in this cycle because it's what everyone else is doing. There's a problem, and they want to fix it. They have a need. They try to come up with the solution themselves. And we are fooling ourselves if we think that this is not us today. We want stability, so we pick majors that are going to lead us to careers that we know will pay us well. We want protection. So we form a wall around our hearts. We stop trusting people. We get closed off. We lack vulnerability and honesty. We stop caring because it's easier to be unknown than it is to be rejected or hurt. We want comfort. So we stick to the status quo. So that way we don't stand out. No one notices us. We want connection. So we settle. We become friends or we get in relationships with people who are toxic. We grasp at like the first sign of attention from someone, so we lower all standards. We have a need, we try to fix it. It is no wonder that the majority of this room are full of people who are tired, who are stressed, and who are overwhelmed because we're trying to micromanage our own lives. We're trying to control our own outcomes. We're trying to handle everything on our own. We're just like this frenzy <laughs> trying to exist. We get rejected. So what do we do? We shut down. We get tired, so we complain about it. We get lonely, so we hook up with people. We get hurt, we project our pain. We're grieving, so we numb out. We're insecure, so we fake it. And the thing is, is, life is actually really hard. That's not shocking, that's not revolutionary. Like, life is really, really hard, and this is our reality. Life is hard. So the solution is not try to imagine that everything is awesome and amazing all the time. Toxic positivity is not going to help us experience the fullness of life. So what will? What will actually free us from this cycle? We break out from the cycle when we stop acting like everyone else around us. 
and we act like everyone around us because it is so much easier. It's so easy to go with the flow, to be like everyone else. It's literally in our DNA. If you think back to being a kid and you're trying to like learn new skills, in college I took a foreign language and it was like the hardest thing for me to grasp because the pathways in our brains, they're not, they don't exist yet. They don't connect. So the easy way is, you know, just give up or you can be different and keep trying at something and eventually these pathways in your brain, they connect. They form a new pathway forward. It's really hard to stop acting like everyone else. It's really hard to stand firm when you're in a river that's just pushing you along. That is so hard. So how do we do that? If part of the solution to breaking out of this cycle of feeling stressed and tired and overwhelmed all the time is that we stop acting like everyone else, then how do we actually do that? We think back to the cycle. There's a need, you try to fix it. There's a need, you try to fix it. The Israelites are doing it, we're doing it. The Israelites are doing it, we're doing it. What is missing? It's the Bible school answer. God is missing, and it sounds cheesy. It sounds so cheesy. I almost like didn't even want to write it like that, because I'm like, that's literally a Bible school answer. It's true, though. It is so true that there is actually a different cycle that can happen, a different path. You don't have to exist in the cycle where you have a need, you try to fix it, you fail, you go to God, God saves you, you have a need, you try to fix it, you fail, God saves you. That cycle is exhausting. There's a different one that you can exist in. You can cut out like half of that by just literally having a need and going to God with it first. So here's what I know to be true. You are not going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, this full life that I'm talking about, talking about by avoiding reality. And you're also not going to experience it by trying to think, you know, when X happens, then Y will happen. When something changes, then this. It's not like when you have more time, then you'll have peace. Or when you get out of this class that's draining and the professor sucks, then you'll have joy. Or when you get into a sorority or the organization, then you'll have wisdom. Or when you get in that relationship or that friendship, then you'll have contentment. That is a lie. And it's a lie that we buy into over and over and over and over again. And that is why we are so stuck. The difference, like the actual real difference, is recognizing that you can invite God into your needs right now. You don't have to wait for some future moment, some future destination, your circumstances to change. God is just waiting right here, ready to step into your need and walk alongside you through the solution. If you look back at the Israelites, was God there? Did he abandon them? Was he far away? If you've been here the last two weeks, you already know the answer. No. God was right in front of them. I want you to listen to this. This is chapter 12, 
verse 6, they'll be on the board because there's a lot of them. But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. The Lord used a prophet to bring Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he cared for him. But I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of the burning heat. This is what the Israelites missed. They missed that God was right in front of them the entire time, and they kept searching for things that would fulfill them outside of that, and that is why they're stuck in the cycle. It's why Hosea feels so repetitive, because it is. They're stuck in the cycle. It goes on in chapter 13, verse 6. God says, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. When they became proud, they forgot me. They missed God right in front of them, and so do we. This is that curse of sin that affects every single one of us from the time that we are born, where we're the imperfect beings, and we're tempted and led astray so easily. And just like the Israelites who literally witnessed God up close and personal, they watched God perform miracles right in front of them. But they're human. They forgot. They forgot God. And when real life happened to them, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, they got on their little thrones of pride and pride led them to feel like they could do it all on their own. I'm gonna invite the band back up. We are stressed, we are overwhelmed, and we are tired because we're relying on our own wisdom and our own strength. If you really wanna know, like if you actually care, you might be sitting here thinking, you know what, I'm so content with being exhausted, with feeling like I'm drained, with having to literally survive on Celsius, that is at me. <laughs> like you might be totally content, but my guess is most of us are sitting here and there is this little whisper, this little knock that is saying, there is something better. There is more to this. It doesn't matter that you're in college. There is something more. We get unstuck. We get freed from the cycle when we actually surrender. Like we actually just lay this down and we recognize that it is not us. We are so not capable of doing this on our own. I want you to listen to this. This is chapter 13, verse 14. It says, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? We have a God who is pursuing us relentlessly. We have a God that is standing right in front of us 
patiently and gently whispering and inviting us to know him, to reveal his character, to reveal his goodness. Eventually, if you've ever heard of the gospel, this story, the Israelite story, it leads to Jesus, this ultimate redemption plan where God swoops in and he rescues us from our biggest need in a way, in a solution that none of us here could have imagined. None of us here would have thought as the right solution. None of us would have dreamed of that. What I love about the Bible is that it all connects. And one of my passion projects is helping you to understand that this is just one story And part of that is showing you connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I want you to listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians. This is not on the board, Matt, because this is rogue. I'm going rogue. (laughs) Um, This is 1 Corinthians. This is verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that in your labor to the Lord, it is not in vain. This is Paul writing to a church. And he's quoting Hosea, which is so cool to me. I could nerd out about that forever. But he's saying to them, like, I know this is hard. I know it is so hard to not be like everyone else around you. But friends, there is victory when you stand firm because your labor is not in vain at all. If you want to actually break free from this cycle, of feeling stressed and feeling overwhelmed and having all these problems and not knowing what to do and asking all your friends, what should you do? What should you do? And listening to everything else and still feeling exhausted, still feeling unsure, still feeling tired. If you actually want to live differently and experience this fullness that I'm talking about, we have got to stop trying to do it on our own. We have to stop waiting for our circumstances to change. We have to be humble enough to literally open our eyes and see that God is not far away. He is right in front of us, whispering and inviting us to know him. Not this intellectual awareness knowing like Isaiah talked about last week, but this deep relationship with him. Some of you have heard this story, but before I moved here, times two and started this job (laughs) I was doing what everyone else was doing everyone who graduated college moved into these careers where they all made the big books and I was doing the same thing I was living in a place where my family and my friends were close I was in my comfort zone I was in a career that I would have like a lot of money and a lot of success and yet there was just this kind of restless feeling. Like from the outside, I, I should have been happy and peaceful and joyful and excited and full of wisdom and all these things. But inside I knew, inside I knew that, that this wasn't it, that there was kind of this level of restlessness and emptiness that I was feeling. And 
And I didn't know what would change, but I knew that something needed to change, that there had to be more. And then I get this random call from Isaiah, and he tells me to move here and start working in college ministry. And if I'm being honest, like really honest, that was so hard. It was so hard for me to move here knowing that I'd feel lonely at times, that I'd feel isolated at times. There was a lot that I lost. I, I went from having a job where my parents were like, yeah, to now they're like, what do you do? <laughs> and my friends at home have no clue what I do here. And fame to my name will never be something probably that I achieve here. And there is a lot of hard days. Like ministry is really, really hard. It is draining, it is exhausting. It is so stressful at times. But you know what I gained? I gained like a soul level of peace and I will not cry here, but <laughs> I gained like real, real peace because I figured out that what I was missing was this invitation to like actually know God and actually trust him with problems that I was facing. And I learned that he was so much nearer than I thought. And now, even though I still have hard days, and I still have days where I feel so drained and I literally live on like six Celsius's a day, <laughs> It's a problem, honestly, we need to do an intervention, but <laughs> I, I still experience hardship. I don't want you to leave thinking that hardship won't come your way because it will, but I truly have felt like a deep soul level feeling of peace that is so unshakable. Any hardship can come my way and I still feel peace and it is crazy to me but it is real, like I can really tell you, it is possible to experience the fullness that, this, that I'm talking about. Just like God was doing with the Israelites, standing right in front of them, gently whispering, hey, you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to make life so hard on yourself. I'm right here. God didn't stop existing once the Israelites figured it all out. This is still possible for you today. And my prayer for this room is that one day we look around and we're not looking at a bunch of people who are at their breaking point, who are stuck feeling stressed and tired and overwhelmed, but that we look around and we see people who are transformed, who have this weird peace about them, who live differently than those around them because they know God. That's our prayer for this ministry and our prayer for you tonight is that you walk away from here feeling a little bit less stressed, a little bit more like you're capable of doing things because you actually know God. Will you pray with me? God, you just amaze me. <laughs> I am just constantly in awe by who you are because the more that I desire to know you, you never let me down. I never decide I want to read my Bible and I leave feeling like you're the most boring person I've ever read about. God, you're amazing and you are incredible. And the fact that we get to know you at all is such a gift. And I pray for these students that they recognize that there is this gift sitting right in front of them. And they don't have to change. Nothing about their life has to change. You just want their heart. 
I just thank you for that, God. Lord, we love you so much. We are so grateful for your grace. It's in Jesus' name.